Hi, this is Paul. You're going to hear some background noise during this recording that we were unable to remove. Uh, we really couldn't pinpoint where it was, but it just showed up. I don't know if the issue were within the Skype system or on the Internet. Uh, neither of the uh, New England boys confessed to eating Cape Cod uh, kettle chips while we were working on the program, but we've done filtering and uh, just it's more noticeable at other times than uh, other times and it's very soft but just wanted to give you a heads up on it we regret it but the uh, conversation was between three people you know it just took a time uh, to set up and so we just decided to go through it and make the best out of it because of the holiday schedules and so forth so again hope you enjoy and we apologize for this background noise Okay, and welcome to another episode of uh, Train Talk with Train Tech. And I'm your host, Paul Gillette. Today, based on a number of the questions that have been coming in to Gary, uh, people are interested in, you know, besides DCC, they're interested in train control, dispatching, and so forth. So joining us today is Donald Iris. Now, Donald's uh, about an hour south of Gary, and he's one of those men who have achieved, achieved perfection. He's got a fully scenic railroad. He's all DCC. And he's all uh, sound. You know, whereas some of us, on the other hand, don't even have uh, one out of three. Donald's batting uh, a thousand here. And one of the interesting things that he's able to do is when he has operating sessions, he has a friend, Ed, who's down in Georgia, about 1,200 miles south of the Boston area there. And Ed, using radios over the Internet and so forth, dispatches trains on Don's Railroad. So we're going to just explore this a little bit. You know, this is kind of like Chessie System does and other railroads where they've got dispatchers, you know, 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles away from where the trains are running. So, welcome to the uh, show, Donald. It's great to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All righty. Now, l some basics here. So, what DCC system are you running? I'm operating North Coast Engineering. Okay, NCE. And you've got that uh, tied in through your PC. What What software are you using to integrate the control and everything that you're doing? The JMRI Panel Pro. Okay. Give me just an overview of JMRI. Well, JMRI is a, um, is a railroad dispatching software that you can get free from the Internet. Um, what we do is we start, uh, we load, you know, load the software into the computer. We have a computer that's dedicated just for the railroad. It doesn't do anything else but operate the railroad. Um, and basically, uh, we, it communicates via the PC through the command station, uh, sending signals and um, stuff to the uh, stationary decoders throughout the layout, which control all the turnouts and the signaling. And the panel was built by another... Uh, start, this all started off... Uh, you know, the railroad was small at one time, and then 
one guy found out about it, another guy found out about it. Next thing you know, I got a big crowd over here, you know what I mean? So uh, we had to do something different. I had actually had to grow the railroad by adding a whole nother level on it. A typical operating session, we have probably about 18 to 20 guys here. So with one dispatcher, it was kind of hard. With 20 dispatchers, with 20 operators, calling one dispatcher was kind of tough. You know what I mean? So uh, Ed used to live here, and uh, he decided to move to Georgia. He didn't want to, you know, not be a part of everything, so he kind of, uh, we devised a system so we can communicate um, from wherever, basically, you want to be to here. And uh, anyway, excuse me a little bit. I'm, I get a little nervous when I'm talking like this. That's okay. Just It's a conversation. Yeah, I know. Okay. So we've got the uh, JMRI there. And you've got Ed down in Georgia doing this. Now, Gary was mentioning you guys use radios and communicate over the Internet. How did that get set up? What do you use there? All right. Over there was totally, we use um, Yahoo, voice over the Internet. Um, what I do is I have uh, F FRS radios. I'm familiar with those. They're 20-channel uh, uh, family usable radios. And what we do is we got a radio, one of the small radios, and Radio Shack makes a, a plug that plugs right into the headphone piece of the radio. And from there, it splits off the two cables, and one of them plugs into the uh, mic output on the radio on the computer um, sound card, and the other one plugs into and the other one plugs into the recording side. So you get both. And what we do is we set the radio on Vox 1. And then as soon as Ed starts talking, the Vox kicks in on the radio, which enables him to talk to the guys here. So basically the radio is here in Rhode Island. But he's able, able to tri uh, trigger it from there just by using the Vox feature. Okay. So basically he's talking to us like I'm talking to you right now. Crystal clear with no problems. That's amazing. Do you guys agree beforehand, uh, you know, communicate email or whatever on how the operating session is going to go so that Ed has a list of number of people and the trains to run? How do you, do you have a game plan, I guess? Right. Well, what happens is a couple of weeks, we operate once a month. I used to do this every week, but it's, it was really getting to be a hassle to do it every week. So we decided just to do it once a month, two weeks before time. I send emails out to my crew to find out. First, I need to know who's going to be here, all right? And if I don't have enough guys that show up, which is very odd that they don't, um, I do have a, um, another list of guys on a spare board, you can say, that, uh, that I can call to come up. So once I get everybody that's going to be coming, I fill out a sheet. Um, basically, I dish out the jobs to all the crews they don't they don't come and pick what they want to do because i try to rotate everybody around so they don't all do the same thing at the same time and they get used to all the jobs so they can basically do anything um so once i make out this certain sheet that sheet gets emailed to ed all right on that sheet uh, we use a, uh, an ex, uh, excel spreadsheet and I'm, I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar with Excel. You can you can actually install comments in the boxes 
Sure. Um, so every every train job has a comment box. So he he, it's, uh, he he all he has to do is just scroll his mouse over it, and it high and a big box drops on highlights exactly what that job does, where it goes, you know, you know, right to when it goes back to the yard. So he he has a complete updated list of everything that's going on for the night. We we pretty much run the same trains every week. Uh, every once a month, every session, I should say. Um, it's a regional railroad, so it's it's a lot of switching. There's there are through trains, but most of it is most of it's all switching. Um, so that's that's how he knows what's going on every night. Uh, they, he never he never calls me to ask him what's going on because he has all that information available already. Okay, now does he have just like a a real life dispatcher on a prototype railroad would be able to plot the progress of trains and so forth looking at his board does he have that i mean tell me about the hardware that allows him to see that okay with the jmri software um we have um nc makes a db20 um block detector that we use um the block detector is tied onto a section of wherever the block is on the railroad. Usually, most of the most of our blocks roll between the signals. Um, so, once a train comes into that block, the DB20 sends a signal to NC's AIU, which is a auxiliary input unit, and that sends a signal to the command station, which sends a signal to the computer to light up that section of track. Okay. All right. So it lights up any occupied track. Is um is got a red is red, when it's clear it's white, and when it's occupied it's red. Okay, so it's basically, if a train is coming up to a signal, the signal's green. As soon as the train passes the signal, the signal automatically drops to red, and the block in advance of the signal turns red it's to tell him that the train is in the block. Okay. The railroad I operate, the Province of Worcester Railroad, prototypically runs with a locomotive on each end of the train. So that makes it easy because I don't have to worry about putting anything on the last car to keep the block occupied. Some of the trains we run have head-end power. So what we do is I got the, I have a bunch of um, Province of Worcester box cars that we put the ring engineering and the train devices on. So what happens now with those is when the engine leaves the block it was in and, and proceeds to the next block, the end of train device is in the block seating and because the, the light flashes on and off on the back of the the ring engineering device the panel the hardware for panel pro actually blinks that track on and off on and off so not only he knows there's a train in the block but he knows what end of the trains in the block you know what i'm saying so wow. then once the, then once the block is clear then it just goes back to white it goes back to a white block again so if we if we're putting a work train in there or some or we put track out of service, basically if he just gets his mouse and clicks on that section of track, it'll turn it red and it'll stay like that all night until until he uh, until he uh, until we takes we put the track back in service and he takes the block off it. You know what I mean? So we won't send trains into that block with a work crew on it. So you know it's it's pretty it's pretty prototypical. Prototypically, the the dispatcher would turn that uh, would put a blue block up. But because the software doesn't enable us to do that, it only enables us to do two colors, which is white and red. Okay, and, and all right, so 
How long are these uh, operating sessions where you guys uh, are on there? The typical operating session lasts, it starts, we start at 7 o'clock, and most of the time we're done by 10 o'clock. So about three hours, um, you know, with, with 18 to 20 people operating. And that's one-man crew. They're not two-man crews. It's just one-man crew. That's how much work we do. Wow. Well, what's a, uh, you mentioned, so your province in uh, Worcester. Okay. And you just give me a rundown on this op session. If we've got 18 to 20 people, you know, how are the crews arranged? Who's doing what? Okay. Well, we got um, two classification yards. The railroad's point to point. Uh, We have Worcester Yard, which is a classification yard. And we have, uh, and it travels between Worcester and uh, all the way to Fresh Pond, New York, which is in, uh, well, Fresh Pond Yard, which is in Queens, New York. Um, and so we have a yard master in Worcester and a yard master in Fresh Pond. Both yards are right over each other. Worcester Yard's on top of Fresh Pond. So um, there's two guys there. Um, we have two uh, interchange jobs. Well, we actually have three interchange trains. Um, one of them starts in Worcester and goes to Fresh Pond and stops at all the yards and interchanges the cars. And then we have another train that goes from Fresh Pond all the way to Worcester and does the same thing in the same yards. So by the end of the night, when the trains get back to the opposite yards, they have um, completely changed the cars over for the following session. You know, follow me? So what happens, they take all the cars that were brought in from the switch jobs from the last session, and they, and they put in all the new cars for the next session. All right, with as far as the yards go, we have a, um, a hot shot interch- uh, interchange that goes directly from Fresh Pond to Worcester and, and turns in Worcester and goes back to Fresh Pond. Uh, we have Coltrane that runs. Um, we have, um, there's like six or seven switching jobs uh, throughout the layout, um, spread out to different yards. Um, like I said, every, I choose what everybody does because I just want everybody to be able to do everything. Uh, plus, we've got two dispatcher positions. And, you know, that's pretty much it as far as that goes. Okay. And you mentioned that there's also a dispatcher there at the railroad. How does he coordinate with Ed? Or is it either the local guys controlling trains or Ed? How do you sort that out? All right, as far as the control of the trains, all the mainline turnouts and signals are controlled by the two dispatchers. Uh, the railroad is big enough where we have an east end dispatcher and a west end dispatcher. Um, there's, a, there's two helixes on the layout. One is 12 levels and the other one's six. The six level helix is the one that's in the most center of the layout. So basically, once trains coming west from Worcester, and trains coming east from Fresh Pond get to that helix. Um, the, that's where the dispatchers communicate with each other to, um, to take trains up and down. It's a single track helix, so they can only take one train up and one train down at a time. There's no room for two. Um, so basically, there's two channels on the radios. Um, and the, the east dispatcher, or whoever's the local dispatcher here, um, has another radio besides the one he normally uses to talk to Ed on his, on the other channel. So that's how they talk back and forth to each other. And then they find out whether they can take these trains up or take trains down, depending on what's going on around them. Okay. Well, you know, I'm just sensing a 
a very large model railroad. How, you know, what size room are you in? How much mainline track you've got? This sounds huge. Uh, the, the railroad is, is 25 feet by 42 feet long, double-decked. Holy cow. All right. The main line is, the main line is about 500 feet. From wow. There's, there's, no, there's no return loop on the other end. The way, once you go to the other end, you, you've got to be turned and head back the other way. There's, you know, there's, no, there's no continuous operation at all. Okay. Strictly point to point. Strictly point to point. Okay. Man, that is. No wonder you've got 18 to 20 people there. And, and the nice thing about it, Paul, is that they're, they're not, you know, not all ganged up on top of each other either. There's, there's four, there's three separate rooms, and there's a, there's a main room, and then there's two smaller rooms. And usually there's not any more than one or two guys in the rooms. That, well, the main room's got the bulk of the guys, but the other two rooms, uh, mostly there's one guy in each room, and then whatever trains are passing by at the time. And, you know, so you might have two or three guys, depending on who's where. Okay. Now, is this like in a basement or a standalone building or where? Up this, it's in the basement of my house. Okay. Now I got a ra- it's a raised ranch, and the whole lower level is nothing but the railroad. Oh, that's that's amazing. How long have you had that layout? I mean, uh, this layout here. This is my third one, and it's taken me about. 16 years to get to where I am now this on, this, on the third one. Wow. Do you have a website or anything where we can go look at photos? I'd love to see this. I do. The website is uh, www.trainweb um, forward slash uh, it's actually trainweb.org forward slash PWMRR which is uh, Providence and Worcester Model Railroad. Or you can go to fa- my Facebook page and uh, there's a bunch of photos on there, too. Cool. I will be sure and do that. That's just fascinating. Uh, have you ever shot any video of this, uh, these operating sessions and posted uh, them up to YouTube? Uh, no, no, because I, you know, along with everybody else, I look forward to that Thursday night once a month, and I want to run trains, too. Okay. Well, no, I haven't really done that yet. Uh, we've been talking about actually trying to do something where we can... Uh, get a radio set up where people can actually log on to the website and listen to the dispatchers talking back and forth to the trains and maybe putting a couple of video cameras in that they can look at trains as going by. But we haven't, we haven't got to that point yet. You know, with, with the complexity and, you know, for three hours, yeah, you could stream video out of there, like where somebody just goes, logs on, right. watches, listens, uh, Wow, that would be amazing. That'd be a learning experience. Uh, so, are you are you all diesel? Are you you know modern day, or have you incorporated steam, or do you switch back and forth? No, no, I'm I'm all present day, all diesel locomotives. I have about a forty locomotive fleet. I've got pretty much all the locomotives that P and W has. It, you know, they don't they you know they keep selling stuff off and keep buying new stuff, and I try to keep up with it as much as I can. Oh, so you're retiring units and uh, buying new ones just to parallel them? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that I actually retire them. I, you know, I <laughs> kind of put them under the layout, but I don't. I don't ever get rid of. Them. I don't get rid of anything. I just keep buying more stuff. Now I got. They just bought three ex uh, BNSF uh, Y cab locomotives, so now I gotta. Now I gotta get three of those. 
Oh, I love the white the 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 white cabs. I thought that was one of the cool schemes. Uh, golly, do you have Amtrak running uh, on your rails so that you've got to schedule a little passenger action going on? Yes, we do. Yeah, we have one passenger. We have one passenger train that runs. Uh, it runs well. Obviously, it runs west, and then it turns around and uh, down at the end of the railroad and comes back the uh, east the other way towards Worcester. Um, Usually in three, it takes about three hours to get that train from one and you know back and forth because with all the the traffic going on around it, it doesn't you know it doesn't really have priority at all because there's, there's a lot more freight trains out there than our passenger trains, so we kind of just get it where it's got to go as quick as they can, but it usually has to wait a little bit somewhere. It, it, you know, it's prototypical, you know, a lot. Of, yeah, a lot, you know, a lot of guys, you know, certain guys come and they, you know, they just want to keep running and running and running. But it's, you know, we don't do it like that. We, I try to make it as real as possible. Um, you go, and I tell the guys, you know, especially new guys, you know, you're going to wait somewhere. It's almost a no-brainer that somewhere along the line you're going to have to wait maybe 15, 20 minutes before you move. So it's, you know, you, you get the real feel for the real deal. You know what I mean? That's uh I'm really impressed. This is amazing. I think there's a lot of uh, large railroad clubs, a lot of railroad clubs around that don't have this uh, level of operation and sophistication. Uh, my hat's off to you on that. And I don't think we we mentioned it, but so this evolved how? The one guy moved away and somebody said, hey, let's uh, let's talk about radio. How did that actually springboard into happening all right well ed ed used to live in the next town over for me um and he uh basically you know basically to make a long story short when i first started working on it, it was just me and my father he used to play with this thing on thursday night then um one guy found out about it then another guy found out about it another guy found out about it and, and here we go um ed was ed was like the fourth guy in um Ed's the computer guy. He's the he's the whiz. That's what he does. He used to build um, AM radio stations for a living. That you know that was his work. So um, so anyway, he decided that it was getting too cold here for him, and he was ready to move south. So uh, he he found you know he found a place in Georgia, and during the last probably month of our operations, we were operating every Thursday night. You know we. we came up with, uh, we already had the jam, my right, panel pro and everything in place. It was just a matter of, at this point of just trying to get the computer communication, you know, auxiliary from, from any, actually anywhere that he ended up going. Um, so what happens, it all started, we set it up from his house in Gloucester, which is the next town over. And, um, he got all the software. What we use is called real VNC. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Um, and again, it's another free computer-to-computer um, -computer communication software you can get on the Internet. Um, we, that's loaded into this computer here, and he's got it loaded into his computer down in Georgia. And basically what he does, he's got a headset pretty much like Gary's wearing that plugs into his computer. Um, and he just, and that configures the computer to talk through the radio. We, we start the um, Yahoo voice over the Internet up. And, and it, he calls, like Skype works, like we're talking on now, Yahoo works the same way. 
The only thing is that we use a two-way radio instead of these uh, microphones because it wouldn't work like this. You'd have to have radios to talk to all the train crews. And with the, you know with that software, basically what he does is the uh, he, I start the VNC up here. He he gets it going down there. He calls using the, the IP address of the computer. He gets into my, into the computer up here. And then he's got, if you're, if you're sitting here with me, you can see he's moving the mouse around on the screen. The only bad thing about this whole thing is that the two dispatchers have to share the same mouse. That's the only downfall of this whole, this whole deal. Um, so basically, they got to take turns making, uh, changing signals or switches. It, it, it's not, you know, it's not a bad. Sometimes it gets a little hairy, but for the most time, 99% of the time it works out fine. Um, it's not a problem. Okay. Um, the other thing is you got to the security you got to have um, to keep people out of your computer. Um, you know that's the last thing you want during an operating session: somebody hacking into your computer and, and taking over. You know, so we have a lot of security and passwords set up that, that he needs to put in before the uh, the two computers will communicate with each other. Okay. Let me ask. You mentioned a while ago that the dispatchers are controlling train movement. And they're also controlling the the turnout. Okay, they they can align they can align the dispatchers line all train movements to, across the main line on the whole railroad. The only time the engineers throw any switches by hand is when they're off the main on sidings or secondary tracks. Okay, and the control of the turnouts is that you know within that JMRI software. Right. What they do is they most click on the uh, on the panel of the switch that they want to throw, and when a switch throws in the uh, thrown position, it turns purple, and when it's lined up for the main, it's white. That same color as the track is. So basically, with the icon, the icon that's switching on will switch back and forth from the siding to the main line. But when it switch, when the track segment switches to the siding, it turns purple. So you notice. So the dispatcher knows that the switch has been thrown. And then when he when he throws it back the other way, it lines up back with the main line and turns back white again, so he knows what position it's in. We have a couple of we also have a couple of we have one place on the layout. Um, the next town after Worcester, there's a there's a big switching job that goes on in there, and um, because the the guy running that job needs to be jumping back and forth between the main line and the second and the second track. Um, we put a, a, a regular 05 cab in there, tied into the command station for the dispatcher, so the dispatcher can actually give him local control of, of two control points there. Um, as long as there's no trains coming in and out of Worcester, then they allow him to operate those turnouts at it, you know, as much as he wants to. And then when there's trains coming back in, the dispatcher will take uh, the local control away. And uh, basically it's a verbal... Um, you know, it's a variable thing. You'll just tell them, you know, you, it's okay to, you know, you're okay to control um, the two control points there until further notice, and then he will call them on the radio when he needs to take it back or get at least get one open track between Worcester and uh, the next town out. Okay, now, I'm still fascinated that he's in Georgia throwing turnouts. So what's the, the handshake there that the hardware that's actually taking his mouse click or whatever and actually throwing that turnout like basically with the real vnc software when he when he logs into the, the computer that's up here in rhode island 
he's on his computer down there. He's actually looking at this computer screen that's that's in Rhode Island. All right. So, and then what happens? He can with his mouse enables him to control. He's just controlling the computer that's here in Rhode Island with the mouse. All right. And I mean that's it's kind of hard to explain. It's like I said, you only with two dispatches, you can only control. You only have one mouse icon you can play with, so they kind of got to take turns um, when they're using it. Um, the dispatcher it does have a mouse, but he's controlled. It's a radio mouse that's plugged into the back of the computer, so he can move it around and use it. And then when he's done with it, they kind of pock it down in the lower corner, and then, then Ed, with his mouse up there, takes over, and, and then he can do his thing too. Okay, and he does that, but somehow from the computer, through is it go through the DCC system that actually... Uh, throws the turnout. Right. So what? Right. So what happens is Ed goes to his screen. He clicks on the uh, clicks on the a set track segment, or he clicks on the switch or a signal. In turn, what happens is the computer sends a signal to the command station. The command station and sends a signal out to the accessory decoder that controls that signal, and then the accessory decoder reacts and turns the signal red, or green, whatever you know, whatever he set it to do. Same thing with the turnouts. So he can line up all, when he hits the turnout icons, it does the same thing. It sends a signal from the computer to the command station, from the command station to the, to the um, accessory decoder, and from the decoder to the signal. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. And there's no, and there's no delay. Really? Either. It's instantaneous. There's absolutely no, I wish there was a delay, but there isn't, because... I, I always thought the delay would make it a little more, you know, a little bit, a little more realistic if you had to wait a little bit. But it's as soon as he clicks on it, it turns okay, right well, away. What switch machines are you using? I use all tortoise switch machines, and the uh, accessory decoders are uh, CVP um, type. They're uh, they're card type. They plug into a forty-eight pin card. Uh, card mount, and I have them. I have card racks mounted throughout the railroad with about 35 of those accessory decoders plugged into them. Each each one of their decoders, what I like about them, controls four different functions. So I don't have to have most of the accessory decoders out there only control two functions. These here control four. So you know I don't have to have as many of them. And in, and the cards are easy because you just basically. Just, you know, you don't have to do any soldering to them. You solder all the wires to the pins. Then you just program the cards. You just plug the pin, the cards right into the, the plugs. And if you ever have a failure um, during the session, it, you just take the card out. I bring it over to the bench, plug it in, and I have another computer set up for that to do that programming. And I just program the card quick back to where it's supposed to be and then plug it back in and it's done. So basically I'm the train man in the... Uh, you know, the, the repair guy, the signal guy, whatever you want to call me throughout the whole okay. session. Okay. So, some sessions are nice. I can actually run a train all night long with no problem. Some night it just doesn't happen. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes there's problems and I got to I gotta take care of that. So I'm the all-around guy. Okay. Well, let me ask you, what uh, what's your, the equipment? Are you Aethern Genesis, your P2K, Atlas? Is it a mix? Uh, no, I, I have strictly an Atlas fleet. I have nothing but Atlas. That's all I've ever bought. I, I, you know, they're just great running locomotives, and they're very dependable. Um, I don't have any issues with them at all. 
I've never burnt one out, never had one die during the middle of a session. Very dependable. Okay. I I would agree. I've got two uh GE uh C thirty Atlas units here on the uh the table that are getting super detailed as we speak. Uh uh, as heavy as they are, I hope they never take a tumble like that uh, <laughs> Aethern did today. Well, I've, I've, I've had that, I've had that happen already. So it's, you know, it's, it's not fun. I bent the chassis on one of mine, cleaning, cleaning track one night. Had six units on, pulling on my arsenal track cleaning equipment around, and and one of the session before that, somebody left the switch open oh. off the uh, passing siding, passing siding into the co- into the power plant, and. Uh, and the stub, the stub end siding was lined up also with the switch, and and need I oh, say more? Oh golly, that's just uh, with six locomotive with six locomotives pushing on it. The 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 uh, the thing the the, um, the unit at the end that was supposed to stop the trains from going off the end of the track got pushed right over, and the, one at a time the locomotives went barreling right off the edge of the layout. Well, you you bring up a good uh, subject there because. That's a lot of track to keep clean. What are you using to clean it? Um, basically, um, I have probably everybody in their brother's track cleaner. <laughs> um, I have um, the CMX track cleaner, which is, is probably the, the best one for what I um, use. It. It's got the tank, so I can load. Basically, I load the alcohol in there, 70% alcohol. I run that. Uh, Minitronics makes a, um, an electronic... Uh, DCC track cleaner. I use that, and I also have two uh, centerline uh, track cleaners with the rollers. So what I do is because um, they're, they're very heavy, and, and we do have uh, two and a half percent grades and helixes. I got to deal with. I usually put three or four locomotives together in a consist, and I push the um, the CMX cars the first one. Uh, the, actually, the the Minitronics one's the first one, then the CMX cars the second one. Then the locomotives, then two center lines behind the back of that. And uh, once I get all the track clean with that, um, I go around with a with a little pad with WD-40, and I just kind of put some a few drops of WD-40 around on the whole layout. Then I just run the locomotives through the whole thing again. And the, with the W with the sound equipped locomotives, I noticed once I converted over, I, I never had sound before. And as I started changing them over, I noticed from never ever cleaning track between operating sessions to starting to clean track every third or fourth operating session, this black, um, whatever you want to call it, dust gets all over the rail. And the cars and them just track it everywhere. Yeah. So um, you end up getting it all caked up on the wheels and all that stuff. So what it ends up being is that with this new sound decoders and everything, there's there's arcing that goes on between the wheels and the rail, and the drier the rail the rail is, the more arcing you get. So by using, um, I don't know, you probably hear guys use wall clipper oil or any kind of you know something like that. And we and a couple other guy friends of mine, we tried the WD-40, and it does the same thing. It it just puts a layer um, on there that creates uh, better conductivity between the wheels and the rail and pretty much eliminates the sparking that goes on with the DCC. Um, since I've started using that, I've I probably clean track maybe every six months, once every six months. 
so it's pretty much um, wiped all that cleaning out because, um, like I said, having a railroad this big and you know, it's a lot of track to clean by hand. Yes, it would be. So the WD-40 is electrically conductive, and that little thin layer cuts down the arcing, which cuts down the buildup of the black crud on the rail and on the uh, the wheel faces. Wow. Yep, it works very well, too. And, uh, as a matter of fact, it works so well that uh, on our modular group, which is, our module is stored in the trailer most of the year, uh, we, we tried it. We tried it on there. And we, uh, we've never, usually every time we set the modules up, we've had to clean the rail before the show. Um, we haven't had to do that yet. And even with the modules sitting in the trailer all summer, doing nothing and we took them all out for the first time set it up and we didn't have to clean any track at all the trains ran beautiful well i am going to give that a try now the the cmx unit that's the uh the quite heavy expensive unit with the uh, brass tank i believe okay uh i think i need to invest in one of those i keep going through bright boys left and right uh, no, they that that's that's a nice track clean. That thing works very well. Okay, well, something else to put on my Christmas wish list. All righty, Gary. Anything else you want to bring up? Well, I think um, I hope this gives everybody a little overview of how you can take your DCC system to the next level. I mean, we're we're all using our DCC systems to. I would say maybe 40% of its capabilities, you know, running locomotives and maybe throwing some turnouts by hand. But, but the power of the, the of these systems um, is is amazing when you when you start putting these other tools to work with it, like the uh, like the folks at JMRI that created uh, Panel Pro, and they also have the software program Decoder Pro for programming decoders and uh, making that that uh, task a lot easier. Um, so um, it's just an example uh, of, of what more you can do to replicate the, the prototype uh, with DCC. That's amazing. Oh, it just it just occurred to me. Gary, it's your shop. Do you guys carry that CMX cleaner? Yes, we carry the uh, CMX um, track cleaner, which is available in N scale, H, O, O, and G scale. And uh, we also carry the um, Miniatronics Electrac uh, track cleaning car that Don mentioned, uh, which is a pretty neat device. It has a uh, an electronic board inside it, and it uses track power, and it actually sends these uh, high-energy pulses through the, wheel, the wheels of the um, track cleaning car. And it actually helps break up oxidation and uh, any type of uh, buildup on the heads of the rail. And, um, and then by running the CMX uh, behind that, um, as that uh, dirt and um, oxidation that is built up and it's broken up by the Miniatronics, the CMX will wipe that right away, and you virtually will have a um, white glove uh, test track, and um, it works really well. And I'm, I'm going to give the WD-40 thing a, a try myself because I have never tried that, and it sounds okay. uh, pretty And neat. you're putting, uh, I think, Donald, you mentioned you're using isopropyl in the tank of the cmx like is that 70 percent did you say right 70 percent because i've i've read people putting uh everything from goo gone to some of those other cleaners but i would think that that would leave a residue that would just you know create a bigger problem 
You're asking for trouble with Google. Okay. And that stuff is never, never. We want to use that. Okay. On the well, from I'll take the advice of a of a man who's got 500 feet of track to keep clean. So you're the expert in my book. So Gary, tell us how the uh, listeners can get a hold of Don if they got some questions about his uh, operation and so forth. And I know Don loves talking about uh, you know his railroad and DCC and everything. So um, they can also contact him. Uh, directly. Uh, his uh, information is on the contact page on our website, uh, don at uh, traintechllc.com, and um, he is at extension 502 on our toll-free number. Well, that about wraps it up for uh, this episode of uh, Train Talk with Train Tech. Just a reminder, if you want to see uh, Don Iris's railroad, it's the uh, www.trainweb.org forward slash PWMRR, Province and Wooster Model Railroad. Or you can look Don up on his uh, Facebook page, and you spell his last name, I-R-A-C-E, but you pronounce it Iris. You can also uh, reach him at Don at TraintechLLC.com, same as with Gary. And depending on the feedback with this, we may revisit this subject. If you've got questions that you want to submit, you've got Gary's uh, email, or you can reach me. I've got an official Model Railroad Hobbyist uh, magazine email now, paulg at mrhmag.com. All right, everybody, hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have. I'm Paul Gillette, your host, and we'll talk to you next time. 